What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. Welcome to the ninth episode of the FBL Wire, powered by DreamSet Go. I'm your host, Zofa, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Late Riser. How was your game week, Ella? A uh, fairly poor week, I thought. Another captaincy failed. Sterling failed me. I thought he looked pretty sharp in the first half, but uh, no returns. And Salah and Kane, who were the popular captaincy options, both returned. Uh, I made three moves, though. Uh, I sold Semedo, uh, I sold Tremd, and I sold Jimenez for Chilwell, Ailing, and Kane. So I thought the moves paid off. I was pretty happy with them. I'm very happy with Chilwell and my team. I think he looks like the defender to have almost Alonso-esque with his run. Uh, and uh, I also got an ailing. Uh, he could have had two assists if Bamford had his shooting boots on. Instead, Dallas got sort of a fluke goal. Lamptey was on my bench. He got nine points. But my strikers, Werner, Calvert-Lewin, Kane got all, got all the points as well as Mo and Poden. So, yeah, not too bad. I'm sitting at 3.7 million, but I'm hoping finally that the season kicks on now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty miserable game week for me too. I just got just 44 points, but now I've got two free transfers to sort it out. Need to make some good moves. But we also have with us today a friend of ours, Jan Senkiewicz, known as Johnny O on the Scout Forums. He's a new writer of the weekly captain's article on Fantasy Football Scout, and he scored the second highest captain points amongst all FPL players last year, finishing with an overall rank of 67. Glad to have you on, Jo. How's it going this season? Hey, guys. It's a pleasure to be on today's podcast with you. Uh, as for the season, uh, this has been my worst start to a campaign since the 2013-2014 season, which was incidentally also my first uh, year playing FPL more seriously. Uh, right now, I am ranked around 4 million, and my team just scored 38 points this week, despite bringing in Kane, and I also brought in Ademola Lukman this week. Um, it hasn't really paid off, even though I sold guys like Mason Greenwood, Kai Havertz, and Raya Brewster, who all blanked this week, I just can't catch a break right now. However, I'm just trying to be patient, you know. I think it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So there's still over 30 game weeks to go. So I'm patient and I'm just hoping my team can get it together after after some time. I'm sure it will. The league, I think, is just about settling. And I think now we've seen more predictable results, more predictable score lines over the last three weeks. And I think it will normalize further going forward. Now, a quick word about our sponsors. DreamSetGo is a global portal for fans to gain access to sporting events around the world. Accommodation, flight tickets, hospitality, stadium visits, everything can be tailored exactly to your requirements. They also do celebrity experiences, which include masterclasses with your favorite sports celebrity or something as simple as birthday shoutouts. Visit DreamSetGo.co for more. The FPL Wire is a part of the Fantasy Scout Network and all stats used in this podcast are taken from the FFS members area. Please sign up if you haven't already. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a few interesting things. First up, Zoff is going to be inter- interviewing Jan, who got the second highest points in captaincy last season and that interview is going to be focused on captaincy and what worked for Jan last season. We're going to be talking about what to do with Spurs assets now that there's a fixture turn. We're going to be talking about some 5 million plus defenders. We're going to be talking about Wolves assets 
this is the time to get rid of them we're going to be talking about strikers because a lot of people own himenas and a few people own ings and who the likely replacements are we're going to be looking a closer look at west ham arsenal and newcastle united after that we have captaincies hot fixtures differentials bakar stats so why don't you uh, start interviewing in, start with the interview for Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. So, as we all know, the captaincy is the most important decision an FPL manager makes every week. I personally struggled with it last year, so I'm quite eager to learn from Jo the keys to his captain success. His total captain score last year was 657. That's an average of 17 per week. So, Jo, while to start with, what is your process when you pick a captain? Thank you, Zofar. So, I totally agree with you. It's such a such a vital part of the game, and um, The 657 points you mentioned, yeah, that was um, 26% of my total score last year, which is massive. It is massive, and um, personally, I don't really like the captaincy. I think the game will be better off without it, as uh, there's so much luck involved. So uh, I would be able to sit here and talk about it if I hadn't had so much luck last season. So it's um, a really underrated factor of last season. There's uh, so much luck involved with captaincy. But obviously, you can help your luck, and uh, I did have a few a few things I followed last season. Uh, first of all, I look at the calendar, so I think that's a massive thing to to trust the guys with the easiest fixtures. Uh, and the thing is, I do not always look um, at the fixture difficulty rating, so I don't care about the green and the red colors and stuff. Um, I try to predict how the game's going to play out. So, um, for example. Picking this week's captain, last week's captain, um, Son Heung-min. I expected the Tottenham against Brighton game to be quite open, uh, given both teams um, attacking, uh, attacking output, especially Potter's kind of style of football and his uh, attacking perspective. Uh, while on the other hand, I wasn't really worried about not owning Salah for the past two weeks, as they faced, um, you know, those kind of really solid defensively teams. Um, so uh, in 50-50 decisions, I just try to pick the guy who's less owned and try to follow my gut in those decisions. Hmm. So are you an eye test guy or more of a stats guy? How do you balance? Is it a? Do you have a specific balance towards that? I would say I'm more of an eye test guy. Uh, obviously, stats are important, and I look at them. Uh, but as I mentioned, I do try to predict uh, how the game is going to play out. So. Especially in terms of uh, midfielders and strikers, there are some things that stats won't tell you. What I try to look at is um, whether they are hungry for goals, whether whether they're getting into the right positions. I think a great example is um, Raheem Sterling against West Ham, and in, in game week six it was. I know you, Pranil, own Sterling, and I think you even captained him for that game week. I did captain him as well, and I was pretty furious because. Even though he had that great chance at the end of the game, which he missed straight off Fabianski, there were also like three or four occasions where both Riyad Mahrez and João Cancelo could pass the ball to him straight. You know, he was standing in front of an open goal basically, uh, and they decided to either either put the ball out of bounds or just continue dribbling. Uh, so these are the things that the stats won't always tell you. So that's why I think it's so important to watch the games or at least to try to catch the highlights and. Get the perspective of how the player is actually looking, instead of just looking at blunt statistics. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting, also because I've seen, I've read your articles on Fantasy Football Scout. I think there are much. What I actually really enjoy is the non-stat stuff that you put in terms of you put a lot of uh, 
screenshots from the game where you're talking about the positions that the players are taking when the team is in attacking play and i find that quite interesting thank you i appreciate that um yeah. i've heard many people mentioning this and uh, yeah it's just kind of the way i'm trying to look at the captaincy this season and last season although this season has it has been not working that well to be honest i've had like five blanks already from my captains including son's blank this week but those things happen and I, uh, hopefully in the long run it can it can help me out to a better ranking i'm sure to once i think things normalize so do do you have any specific preference towards big teams or are you okay captaining a player from one of the smaller teams if they have a good fixture it's a great question and uh, i did listen to the uh, podcast of you guys with uh, tom freeman last week he also also mentioned that he's targeting the big teams uh so am i especially when looking at last season i remember captaining captaining sterling and salah nine times each and i've also given the armor to the likes of um, sergio aguero i think three, three times and even the bruyne twice so overall i captained uh, liverpool or man city player 25 times last season which is massive and the reason for that is pretty simple i usually can see one of those stone one of those teams stream rolling their opposition in a given game week. Um, something I can be never certain about with smaller teams, or even when we're talking about Chelsea and or Manchester United. They're just so unpredictable these days with managers who are still just trying to find a way, just find their, their style. And Liverpool and Man City are just much more predictable. Uh, I just tend to trust them, that's all. Mm. I understand that completely. Now you mentioned Man City and a lot of your success last year was with Man City players in particular. So what sort of indicators do you look for with City and are, do you think they are the most explosive options? How do you tackle Pep Roulette? Uh, so the Pep Roulette is an interesting one. Obviously, it's it's not something that's not non-existent and I think we've all, all been heard by Pep Roulette at some points of our FPL careers. Um, but when we're talking about Sterling or De Bruyne or Aguero, most of the time we can be pretty certain they will start games. Unless, obviously, Gabriel Jesus is in good form or he's fit, then there are some concerns about Aguero. So with the Argentine, maybe the case is a bit different. You have to pick the right moments. Uh, I remember the last uh, last season when me and uh, Pranil decided to captain Aguero um, against Aston Villa away. That was probably one of the best, most important uh, moments of the season. And if I remember correctly, he was just coming back from an injury. So that was the moment we kind of really risked, risked, risked it. But it was really worth it because he was like owned by maybe 5% of, um, of active players. So in those instances, maybe it's just, you know, taking that little bit of extra risk. But in terms of uh, Raheem Sterling and the Bruyne, most of the time, I'm pretty certain they are starting games. They are so vital to this team. Uh, so I am not worried about Pep Roulette that much when it comes to captaining either the Belgian or the Englishman. Uh, also, I, and I feel like uh, you mentioned that you know you captained Sterling nine times and De Bruyne and Aguero combined for six times. So about 15 to 16 times you captained a Man City player. So I just like to add one point here that you know uh, we do know that City are the most explosive team in the league. They've been the highest goal-scoring team in the league for the past few years. So if you're persisting with that, uh, you, you, you have the odd rotation, but then more often than not, you will get those explosive points. So you have to take the chances consistently, which I see you doing. 
Yep, and you also yeah, have I to completely. make more informed decisions. I remember, I think, in fact, speaking of that Aguero game against Villa, I think you guys played like Man City, I think, midweek. I think it was a midweek game, right? Just before that, between Manchester United and City. And I think Aguero was benched for that. He played Sterling false nine with Aguero on the bench. So there are indicators like that also, I think, that you have to watch out for. That help. So, but what do you think has changed this season? The City's downturn, have you worried a bit? I am worried, that's for sure. Uh, however, I am keeping the faith in Sterling and potentially Foden, who I also own, given their turn of fixtures soon. Uh, however, since the logic remained the same and most of the time I've been trusting Sterling with the armband, I think already four or five times this season, um, this has been one of the main reasons for my poor start of the season. And uh, as Pranil said, it's something you have to stick it, stick with for, uh, for the longer term. However, I am concerned because obviously there was a switch of formation for Man City. And obviously they lost David Silva, who's no, no longer there. And there are some issues with their strikers all the time injured. Um, so I'm maybe possibly going to reconsider this, uh, this tactic. Uh, I'm just not sure if that's the right moment because mm. the fixtures are coming up and we will see a lot of goals either way. Uh, so it's a difficult question and I'm not sure how to tackle this problem myself. Um, but I'm definitely keeping Sterling. I'm not sure if I'm going to trust him with the armband still, but I'm definitely keeping him in my team and see how um, whether they can put a good run of uh, form with those fixtures. I think you're of the same opinion, Pranil. Agreed, for sure. So, a lot of weeks now, there's an obvious captain's pick. Now, let's say Salah home to non-top six side. Do you still look to differentiate in those weeks? Or are you okay occasionally going with the most popular herd captain? That's another interesting question. I mean, I don't mind picking uh, a captain who's, um, who's the most popular option this week, as long as I believe he's the best option. Uh, it's, it also depends what kind of uh, non-top six side a player is facing. Uh, because, as I said, there were a lot of people captaining, let's say, uh, Mohamed Salah two weeks ago. Uh, they saw the fixture against Sheffield, who are yet to win a game. And uh, they favored the Egyptian, which I obviously understand. And uh, he probably should have uh, should have scored some points at that game. He hit the post. He missed the one-on-one. One, one. Uh, however, the thing is, uh, as I mentioned before, I always look try to look how the game's going to play out. So, in terms of games against teams like Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace or let's say Chris Wilder's Sheffield United, I'm pretty certain that those teams are not going to go and attack after conceding the first goal. They usually still sit back and hopefully keep the 1-0 until the 80th minute and maybe nick something from a corner or a set piece. That's just the style of play. Meanwhile, teams like um, what comes to mind, let's say Brighton or Southampton, they do tend to attack regardless of the result. Uh, which is something I really try to look when picking my captains. Um, and I do remember being fairly confident not owning Salah for game week uh, four, that was, I think, when Liverpool play, played Villa. That was just before the international break, the infamous 7-2 uh, defeat. And I was fairly confident without Salah because I saw Villa's defensive numbers. I saw how they looked defensively. Mm, I was pretty confident on Aston Villa getting a result. I even mentioned it in, the, in my article that I would discourage potential Salah captains, or people who want to captain Salah for the week. 
uh, as I saw uh, Villa potentially getting the result. They did get the result. However, obviously, Salah got the double-digit hole. So that's those are the things I, I just you know have no control over. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm still happy with my decision of not bringing Salah that week because um, essentially I predicted the result pretty well of Villa winning. I just you know wouldn't predict Salah still scoring. Uh, scoring as many as he did. I think he had only two or three shots, which and he scored from most of them, which is rare for Salah. Yeah. In the first half of first three or four game weeks, I think all three or four of his goals were all uh, of the rebounds, snapshots of the rebound. Yep. So, what about weeks when there are multiple good options? I feel a lot of that comes down to luck, and I find those weeks the hardest. I think like last week was a good example. There's Kane, Salah, Son. All three were good picks. So when there are multiple good picks in a particular week, how do you decide? First of all, in uh, potentially 50-50 calls, I always favor the midfielder. It's pretty obvious since they are likely to get the extra point for the clean sheet and the extra point for for the goal compared to forwards. Another important factor is the uh, are the penalties. And that's something... Hmm, I haven't followed this season, which I kind of regret because in game week one, I had a 50-50 call between Salah and Mane. I owned both of, both of them, decided to go with Mane because he was a differential pick. And uh, I did predict Liverpool to score many goals. I was just, you know, kind of wanted to go against the hurt in the opening game week of the season. Um, this week, I decided to go Son over Kane, even though that was still a 50-50 decision. Uh, something I did mention in the article, I did see Tarek Lamptey bombing forward all the time. And I did predict Son to have a lot of space behind the Brighton defense. Uh, however, what I didn't see is the complete change, um, maybe not even change of shape, but complete change of lineup by um, by Graham Potter, who didn't even field an out-and-out striker in that game. So Son didn't have that much space, and it was also his off day, wasn't it? I mean, his touches were poor. He was subbed early, I think, around the 75th minute, if I remember correctly. Uh, just was one of the day, one of those days. So in 50-50 calls and close calls, um, penalties are one of the main um, main factors. And possibly when I can decide, I'm just going with my gut feeling. What about home and away? Do you prefer generally captaining a player who plays at home? Not anymore. Uh, I did look at it before the COVID break, but after restart, I do believe that home fixtures um, are not such an advantage as they used to be. And um, certain teams perhaps um, even try to open up more against big teams when they're playing at home. Maybe it's a motivational factor, maybe uh, maybe not, but um, I'm not looking at home away anymore. I think that's irrelevant given no fans and the pressure's off for some teams when they're playing at home. Makes sense. And the final question, now, form versus fixture, what side do you lean to when picking a captain? So following what I've said already, I would say, um, I would say fixture. And the main reason for that is because usually we'll be picking, I'll be picking um, a premium forward or premium midfielder and usually most of them are world-class players um, when we talk about the Bruyne when we talk about Salah these are the guys um, who are even when they're struggling and they don't pass the eye test you can kind of expect them to hit, hit a hat trick anytime really so in case of those world-class players I'm rarely concerned about form because I know they won't 
get dropped and they suddenly uh, at any time they can hit form again. So I think fixture is the most important thing when looking at captaincy. And obviously I will look at form when I'll be uh, picking my team or making transfers and stuff. Uh, but I won't consider for form that much when talking about captaincy. This is just like to add here. Now, if one of your premium attackers that you mentioned is playing against a premium team, like we have uh, Manchester City versus Liverpool this weekend, are you for or against captaincy there? Uh, personally, I will definitely avoid this fixture for captaincy because in most of those close games, um, I just... I am simply unable to, and I think most of the people are unable to, to predict the precise result or the way this game is going gonna, is gonna to go. Uh, for example, there was this uh, Merseyside derby a few weeks ago, which I thought would be a really close affair. It ended up in a draw, although it was a high-scoring draw, unlike uh, plenty of other Merseyside derbies in the past. Uh, however, in most of the close games, let's say recently, even Manchester United's um, tie against Chelsea or then the game against Arsenal, these are the type of games between the top six teams that are usually at KGFers. And um, I try to avoid those for captaincy. I mean, I don't mind owning Sterling or owning Foden this week because um, it could be an open game, possibly. Uh, but I wouldn't trust anyone with my captaincy in such a close game. So this week, for example, I'll be definitely looking at Harry Kane uh, or, or Son against West Brom. Makes sense. All right. Thanks for that. Now that you've... Yeah, some really, really great input, some great points that stuck out to me. Uh, you know, now that you mentioned Harry Kane and Son, uh, we'll move to for one of our first hot topics for the game week, which is we're seeing the fixture turn with the Spurs assets, which is Kane and Son. Now, are you leaning towards holding your Spurs assets or selling them? Yeah. Personally, I am, yes, uh, I am still waiting with my... Um, with my Spurs assets, at least for the next uh, two or three weeks. If I remember correctly, they have Manchester City after the West Bromwich Albion game, which could be high scoring. I am also eager to see how Mourinho sets up against big teams because uh, so far we've seen them play pretty good counter-attacking football, which we could see especially against Southampton. So I wouldn't write uh, Son or Kane off as options, even against those more, more difficult if even in those more difficult fixtures, because their counter-attacking style of play could suit both uh, the South Korean and Englishman. So at I'm the moment, you're leaning towards holding at least for the city game. Yes, right now I am keen on on keeping the bow for the city game, and also those two three weeks time will give me uh, will give me a chance to reevaluate the city options and possibly jump on one of the city attackers, one more of the city attackers. Mm. Or their great run of fixtures. See, that's a difference. About, I think you already have a city player, right? Along alongside those two, a lot of us don't. So that's where I think the decision becomes a bit trickier. So which way are you leaning, Zof? You See, don't only. So I'll just read out the fixtures what the Spurs have, and I think these are all seven good defensive teams: is Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Palace, Liverpool, Leicester, and Wolves. So. It's not really a difficult fixture. These are teams that are fundamentally defense. Like you see the one easiest fixture that Palace and Palace away. I think you've seen the last two, three years. You never back a big team to go there and score five, six. It's usually one or two. So I do think that now the problem is with so many good options this year. I don't think it's a year where you can just pick and stick with players unless it's the like of Mohamed Salah or Kevin De Bruyne. 
do you have to hop on hop off when the fixtures turn so i don't know i would like maybe probably i'll keep them for the city game evaluate how it is and move at least one of them on i think sun might be the better option to keep a because he's cheaper and i think b he's of more offers more on the counter attack like you said he might be more useful then so i'll probably if of the two i'll probably look to sell kane at that point i agree with you if i was to sell one of the two i'd sell son first as well i'd, I'd sell kane as well because i feel like son offers uh, more on the counter attack there's an actually an, uh, a pretty big elaborate article that i wrote at the start of the season where i was uh, analyzing data in terms of how these premium picks perform against defenses of uh, good caliber as well as poor caliber and especially for the premium teams there's a very drastic difference in terms of the points they score against good teams as well as bad teams and Manchester City actually stood out the most. They're the biggest flat track bullies that we have in the league so far. So I'm of the opinion that uh, if you don't own Man City assets, uh, even though they've not looked very good so far, you have to get them in because the quality difference between a Manchester City versus a middling or a poor opposition is very drastic. And uh, I, you, you won't be surprised to see City winning by three or four goals in this game. So, you know, you might have got gotten away by not having them so far but for that good fixture of runs which i think extends until game week 15 or 16 you need to get these uh, manchester city players uh, also we noticed that the first uh, output has been dropping in the past couple of games you know they've uh, dropped outside the top 5 in the league for shots in the box kane is only seventh for shots in the box in the last two son only had two shots in the box in the last two games so there is an opportunity and you know especially because city chelsea and arsenal they look to be settling defensively as well so i feel like uh, the early uh, the people who jump off spurs assets early might be rewarded so i'm all for playing the fixtures i've always done that and uh, you know while the season seems to indicate that form is a better indicator than fixture i want to trust two three years of data over what we've seen at the start of the season agree so one thing i would like to mention here um about the fixtures and form what we've noticed in this season is because um teams have even less time to prepare the big teams have the even less time to prepare between the champions league games and the league games uh and obviously the covid environment is influencing everyone uh, i think that gives an advantage to mid table teams and bottom half of the table teams that have obviously more time to prepare for the big games and uh obviously there becomes the the minutes played factor as uh, premier league teams from the bottom half of the table only have to focus in the league while manchester city i'm just not sure what's going to happen around uh, let's say round 4 or round 5 games of champions league when possibly city need the result what happens then does guardiola uh, possibly emphasize the champions league games or not so that's why sterling and maybe de bruyne are the only ones i'm you know considering from city i'm not completely sold on juan cancelo either because i can see zinchenko mendy getting some minutes in in the league uh so obviously there is a fixture turn however we need to ask ourselves one question whether city will go full you know full power in the league games or possibly save themselves for the champions league ties and for the latter stages in the season That's a good well, there, that's a good point because you think you have to say Kane and Son are nailed on irrespective of how many minutes they play in the Europa League but it's a good point you raised because Pep mentioned this he wasn't happy with the number of goals City was scoring and he said he wants to seal Champions League qualification as soon as possible so that he can focus more on the league so I think they won two out of two now assuming they win the next couple they might be able to seal top spot 
by then and then by the fifth or sixth round maybe they can even rest players in the Champions League and I think that's when we need to be worried about not owning City assets as fantasy managers when the likes of Sterling KDB are going to get seven days to rest between fixtures and that sort of coincides with the start of the run for City as well because they're playing Liverpool and Spurs next after that is when the whole run begins so that sort of coincides especially if they win the next Champions League game I don't think we need to be too worried because Pep will be starting his strongest team in the league. I think, exactly. I think if they win the next two, that's 12 points. I think they'll be pretty comfortably top of their group. Yeah, but great great point, Gio. Especially because with Spurs, Mourinho is clearly fielding the stronger team in the league. So, uh, there is a lesser worry in terms of rotation. There's more freshness when it comes to the Spurs assets as well. Absolutely. I like that one. Absolutely. Let's move on to the defenders. Alright, so a lot of questions have been coming in you know, for the premium defenders. A lot of people have been asking again about Trent and Robertson. So I thought it'd be a good idea. We thought it'd be a good idea to look at the five million plus defenders again. Uh, anyone that you particularly like in that bracket, Joe? And what's your thoughts on the Liverpool defenders as well? I am a Liverpool defense owner myself. I have um, Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'll be looking to sell one of them, possibly Trent, in the near future. But we'll get to that later. In terms of the 5 million defenders, I really like uh, the Wolverhampton options. And obviously, when you look at the fixtures, the, at the first glance, you would say, no, I'm not touching them for that run. However, we need to remember that Wolverhampton like and tend to get clean sheets even against the best teams in the league. And I think that favors the likes of Semedo, um, or we possibly can look at uh, even Willy Bolly, although his goal threat is uh, severely diminished com- compared to Semedo. Uh, I think it's a it's a good idea to just have a one one Wolverhampton defender as a set and forget, even for this more difficult run of fixtures, because they can get a clean sheet anytime, anywhere really. So I do if, trust them from a defensive standpoint. If if you were to buy a defender though right now, let's say next game week, and you know that Wolves have that you know tough run of fixtures, teams like Arsenal and Chelsea have a fairly easier run in comparison, and they've shown shown some good defensive stats. Would you still pick a Semedo over a Chilwell or a Bellerin? Yeah, I wouldn't mind picking some speak, picking Semedo right now. I mean, they have Leicester away. They've shown that they can easily beat Leicester away. I think last season we saw them uh, winning at King Power Stadium, if I remember correctly. Um, and regarding Chilwell, I think he's the outstanding option from Chelsea. I would also look at Zuma if you don't have the fans. But Chilwell right now is playing like Roberto Carlos almost. And he's, uh, he's really threatening, um, both from set pieces if Zayish isn't playing, and obviously from open play. Uh, I do like Bellerin as well. He is much cheaper than Chilwell. And uh, Arsenal have been impressive defensively. The, the fewest amount of goals conceded this season from all teams. And uh, they don't have uh, the Champions League games to worry about. They just rotate in the Europa League. And uh, Bellerin is a shrewd pick. I, I like him as well. I'm just interested to see how um, Arteta solves um, the formation issue because I think that in the long run, he would like to switch to a four at the back. But we've seen clearly against United, for example, that he still prefers the five at the back formation in the big games. So the five at the back formation definitely favors Bayerine. He has a lot of freedom to run forward and get into the box. I'm not sure how he's going to look uh, if they switch permanently to four at the back. Hmm. Yeah, my, my problem with Berlin is, you know, they might look uh, good defensively and Berlin has a lot of touches in the final third and all of that. But despite, you know, him playing as wing-back in a fire-the-back formation, he's just created three chances in the last four game weeks compared to Chilwell and Cancelo, 
who both created nine chances each in the last four game weeks. So I feel like the output when it comes to Cancelo or Chilwell is a lot uh, greater. I'm actually pretty excited about Cancelo at the moment. Uh, I'm waiting to see if he's going to start the next two against Liverpool and Spurs. And if so, I'm I'm tempted to get him in because his stats are outstanding. He's pretty much occupying that left side. Uh, there's a stat that I read where Cancelo has created more chances in the first half against Sheffield United than any City defender has in a in a whole game since 2012. So I thought that that's a really indicative uh, stat. He receives a pass in the final third every 4.7 minutes as well. So I just feel like these are really really explosive stats for a 5.4 million defender. And if he's starting the next two, I, I know I wouldn't be able to resist in terms of uh, going there. Chilwell, I just bought in last game week, and it's someone I'm really, really happy with, uh, especially with uh, Hakan Piyash now starting. Uh, you know, I, I, Chilwell was at the far post, ready to put a header in as well, the last game week as well. So I feel like he's got goal threat as well as assist threat. He's got set pieces. He looks like one of the standout picks. I know Zuma got the goal, goal this game week, but I feel like if I were to go for a Chelsea defender, I feel like you'll get your bang for buck if you pay the 0.8 odd million more for Chilwell over Zuma. What are your thoughts there, Zoff? I totally agree. I think Chilwell was almost playing as a winger against Burnley. He was getting forward. So, I have some stats up here now for the last three game weeks now. Like you said, Cancelo is on top with nine chances created. Then you have Ailing, Chilwell, Robinson. I think it's Robinson from Fulham with six chances created. Then you have your Alexander-Arnold and Robertson. So, Chilwell is right up there in terms of attacking stats now. Let's have a look also at the teams in terms of because ultimately you want to buy a defender from a top team. They have the team has to be sound defensively. It's not just attacking output. You see Brighton on top in terms of XG non-penalty conceded. Now, surprisingly, the second one is Manchester United. I guess probably because Arsenal and Chelsea didn't offer much at Old Trafford. So then you have Man City. I think Man City are actually much better defensively this season than they have been. I think Diaz and Laporte is a really good partnership. So, they, yep. they were making a point on commentary that last year City didn't know how to win 1-0. And this year, now you can really see that. So, I think defensively, they're a good place to go. Wolves are fourth. Liverpool are fifth. Then you see Burnley, Arsenal, Chelsea and Spurs. So, most of the players we're looking at, the teams have been pretty good defensively as well. So, Zav, let me ask you this. You're a pretty conservative manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Cancelo is putting up uh, similar numbers uh, and you need to, you know, let's say you're in the market for a City defender in a couple of weeks. Would you go for the safe play with the Diaz or would you go for a Cancelo? I guess that would, a lot would depend on where they are in the Champions League. If I'm buying him after they have sealed Champions League qualification, then I would might punt on Cancelo. But if it's going to be like right now with the Champions League still looming, I would still rather go with Diaz. And uh, being a Chelsea fan, you still think Chilwell, Chilwell will offer the value over Zuma? Absolutely, because Zuma, what's probably going to happen, I think he scored three goals this season, right? The first one was a bit fluky with a deflection at Brighton. And the other two have been headers. I think the Burnley, the marking was shocking. Tarkovsky left him completely open. Now, teams aren't going to do that anymore. Like we saw that with Van Dijk. He, when almost every corner, he was being marked by two players. So teams are naturally going to start paying more attention. I think to Zuma, so I don't think his goal threat is sustainable. So I like Chilwell a lot more than Zuma. All right, and let's say I'll pose this question to both of y'all. If y'all were in the market for a defender around the five million mark, we've got three options in Bellerin. We've got Cresswell, who has a great run of fixtures as well for the next seven to ten game weeks. 
and uh, we have zuma so out of the three which ones do you prefer hmm that's an interesting one i would probably in that case probably go with bellerin out of the three what about you yan between these three it's a difficult question isn't it um i would say i'll pick one of cresswell and bayerin possibly favor cresswell uh although with cresswell is the same thing as with bellerin isn't it we're going to mention west ham later um but they can switch to four at the back as well and he could replace maswaka as the left back and they could put um someone in let's say benarama into the first 11 So then the Cresswell goal threat uh, and assist threat mainly is left for set pieces isn't it isn't it while Bellerin it's the same thing really if he moves back to a four at the back I'm just not sold on Bellerin at the moment so if I had to choose be- between the three of them I would just go Cresswell for the set piece threat I think that's what really um really makes him an outstanding pick especially considering how many you know big tall guys West Ham have in the ranks and even when antonio doesn't play haller can score a header so i think they put a lot of emphasis on set pieces west ham they do uh, so that's something cresswell can really really take advantage of i agree i think the set piece threat uh, takes it uh, in favor of cresswell for me as well anyone would be tempted by gabriel he's, he's he's got a decent amount of set piece threat in terms of uh, heading ability he's the same price isn't he as bellerin Yeah, yeah. But see the thing is I'm pretty sure that Arteta is going to stick now to this back three. He doesn't seem like to me one who's going to tinker with the system a lot. And there were some quotes from him when he joined Arsenal that his first priority is going to be to shore up the defense. And I think he's done that now. So, I think Bellerin in the terms of the system as a wing back is pretty secure. Yeah. Also one thing I noticed, I mean, I saw the game last week and in terms of the performance that Partey put in, I thought he was mm. really really good uh, you know playing that game and i think he's blended in quite early really well it, it, he's just not uh, somebody like kate who just breaks play his passing range etc his link up play all of that impressed me and i feel like arsenal having kate in that team can afford to play one in the pivot which is why i'm expecting a little more creativity from them now that the fixtures ease up for them just one more question for you zof uh, a lot of people are looking to get off their liverpool defenders now pool conceded only a 0.25 xg this game week uh, west ham were parked for most of the game but in the last two game weeks we've seen a trend uh, shifting more towards trent compared to robo trent had four chances created to robo in the last two game week trent had 82 touches in the final third compared to 58 from robo in the final third if you had to sell one if you owned both or if you had to uh, hold either of them what's your thinking there I'm still quite keen on holding Trent. I think Fabinho is expected back after the international break. Matip is, I think, fit for the Champions League game today. So I refuse to believe that Liverpool are not going to keep to that many clean sheets going forward. And I still think Trent offers attacking potential. Yeah, he's hinting towards it uh, in the midweek game against in the Champions League as well. He could have had three game week, three assists. Yeah, it was a poor opposition, but he's showing signs of uh, reviving that form. You know that we are worried about. What's what's your thinking there, Joe? Now, considering these stats, would you still uh, sell Trent first? I think that's something I would lean towards. If I had to sell one of the Liverpool defenders, a lot of the lot of this depends whether I would prefer to keep Jimenez. We'll get to my team later. Uh, if I had to choose between one of the Liverpool defenders, I would prefer to keep Robbo because he just seems in form, doesn't he? I mean, there's something into in Trent's game since the restart. Uh, that I just find concerning. He's only a threat from set pieces. Um, 
you said you saw some improvements in his game attacking Fred in recent games. I didn't see it apart from the mid uh, Midland game in the Champions League, where obviously the opposition was so weak, the whole Liverpool team was playing in their half all game. Um, that's something that's not going to happen in the, in the Premier League. Um, he just kind of seems, you know, laid back, I would say, in his attacking approach this season trend. Uh, so for that reason, I would go for the for Robertson, who seems all the time, you know, focused on going forward, making those runs behind Mane. Uh, he's my favorite over over Trent. All right, and you you mentioned Jimenez. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Jimenez owners uh, in the game right now, as well as a lot of people owning Wolves assets. Now they have a tough run of fixtures. The fixtures read Leicester away. Saints at home, Arsenal away, Liverpool away, Aston Villa at home, and Chelsea at home. Now this this seems like a tough picture run. What 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 are your thoughts in terms of you know when it comes to holding the likes of Jimenez or are you going to get rid of them now? There's a thing though because as I mentioned before, Wolverhampton keep winning those big games and it's just one of their strengths that they keep counterattacking teams. And I've been burned by by Jimenez in the past on a few occasions. I've waited two seasons for him to score the first goal for me, for my fantasy teams. And it's been over like 20 games I waited for him to finally score. He finally scored against Leeds, which wasn't even the proper goal. He just hit the defender on his head or whatever. Um, but he's off the mark for my team. And um, and he's been okay. I expected the return against Crystal Palace, which he didn't get, unfortunately. Uh, but that's the big decision I have to make. When I look at other options, there was Maupai, there was Che Adams, possibly cheaper in recent weeks but again Mopai has been dropped Che Adams is a big question mark given Ings injury so I'm just not sure about the replacements um, possibly I could stretch to Werner if I decided to replace Jimenez uh, but it, it is a big decision to make uh, honestly I do expect Wolverhampton to get a result at Leicester I wouldn't be surprised if they won something like 2-0 or, or whatever also Leicester seemed to be struggling at home so it's another thing that favors uh, Nuno's man. You're, you're so, a Semedo, Semedo owner as well. You're happy to hold Semedo as well? Yes, yes, I am happy to hold Semedo. I think that I have bigger... We will move to that, you know, because I have bigger fires in my team. Uh, likes of um, of Jimenez, as I said, Trent Alexander-Arnold. I don't even have a playing keeper, but we will get to that. What about you, Zof? You own Jimenez as well. Yep. You're so. getting rich? I'm probably getting rid and I will just go into why. Now, I've got the chart up here for XG non-penalty over the last three game weeks and Wolves are the fourth worst. I think only teams doing worse than them are West Brom, Arsenal and Sheffield United. Now, I think Wolves are a very different team this year now. But playing on the counter, they had primarily two weapons last year. I think it was Traore, uh, Traore Doherty and to an extent Jota as well. Now, all these now, Traore hasn't been starting the last few games and the other two guys are no longer in the side. So there's been a lot of, I think, like, oh, Jimenez was the most creative striker in the league last year. I think he's created maybe three or four chances in total this season. So there is definitely some link-ups. He's not in the same wavelength as these new guys, Neto and Podence. So I'm, I'm not definitely not as confident in Wolves as I was last year and I'm looking to get rid this week. Well, what if you were a Semedo owner? Would you shift? For somebody like a Chilwell this week? I think so because I don't see Semedo getting as forward in those games. You have to remember he's still very raw and new to the league so you're relying purely on clean sheets rather than a, let's say if he was a Doherty would be getting forward for attacking returns as much. Yeah, I think I, I'm on the same page and if I were owning Jimenez I'd take the points that we've uh, 
have you gotten so far and run? I, feel I think like they've been pretty op- fortunate. Those last two goals, especially, I think the one against Leeds was a fluke, and even the sec- the one against uh, Newcastle was a worldie. You don't expect yeah. him to score those regularly. The thing, though, the thing, though, is that their performance against Palace is the best I've seen Wolves play this season. I felt like getting rid of Sice and putting Aitnuri in there actually opened up the pitch. I felt like Semedo has it, had his best game uh, so far this season, season as well. Where, you know, finally, Wolves finally had a very wide pitch where both the wing-backs were doing what they were supposed to do. Uh, Aitnuri looked pretty comfortable in that position as well. Kilburn is doing well in defence. So, I mean, my opinion is if it comes to someone like a Jimenez sell because I feel like he doesn't offer value at 8.5, especially Precisely. for this picture run. If you have size, get rid because uh, we've been mentioning on the sport since a couple of weeks that we see him as a rotation threat. Uh, for then, I feel like he's uh, he's almost playing like a forward for that team. So at his current price, which is around 5.5, he's going to be offering value. So I wouldn't be in any hurry to sell him. Uh, and the, that's my same, that, that thinking applies to Semedo as well. If you own Kilman, keep him for the run because even at 4.3, he's offering you value. And Wolves, like uh, Jan mentioned earlier, Wolves are good at you know taking on pressure and keeping clean sheets. They know how to do that. And that's a good point. This if you was... remember the City game, the City game, Podence was the primary weapon on the counter-attack. Exactly. exactly. So, it's probably going to be a yeah. similar tactical plan going forward. Yeah, and I'm not really... Thing... Yeah, go on, Jan. Yeah, just one thing I want to mention about Wolves. As you said, they had a difficult start of the season. And great thing you mentioned about Al-Nuri replacing Saiz. Uh, they suddenly had two flanks operating at full speed. And what I saw, for example, against uh, Leeds away, they really doubled up on Semedo, on, the, on that right-hand side of Wolverhampton. So they were worried about Semedo linking up with uh, Neto. While on the other hand, um, Hodensh was pretty much alone in his attacking output. And they really, the opponents didn't really focus on Saiz as he's a central defender. He can play in midfield as well. Um, and he's not as attacking and as natural in this position as Altunuri is. So because of that, I think the opposition will now have a lot of questions to to consider regarding their the Wolverhampton attacking output. They can't only focus on the right-hand side anymore, So which, which should improve Wolverhampton as a whole and obviously did against Crystal Palace. Another thing I want to mention about Wolves, they had a difficult start of the season and possibly they were super tired after last season, which lasted for over one calendar year. If we count the first Europa League qualification game, they finished the season exactly 365 days after with their game wow. against Sevilla, if I remember correctly. So that's something we really should take into account. Obviously, the new signings, they need some time to gel. Uh, and when I look into next fixtures, uh, it's Leicester away, it's Southampton at home, and it's Arsenal away. And paradoxically, I think Southampton would be the most difficult fixture for them in terms of keeping a clean sheet. While the Leicester game, Leicester, who, as I said, really don't look like scoring at home, and neither do Arsenal. So I would fancy Samara to get at least one clean sheet in the next three games, possibly even two. So I would say he's a he's a solid pick right now. And if I owned, I do own. And if anyone owns, I would definitely keep hold of the Wolverhampton defensive assets. As for Jimenez, yes, I am tempted to sell because, as you said, Zofor, he doesn't offer much value for those 8.5 million. It was a different conversation two years ago when he was 5.5. But right now, he doesn't offer that much value. So he's one of the first uh, first players on my list to sell. That's that's for sure. 
Yep. All right, and both of you are in the market for a striker, so let's move on to the striker conversation. Now, anyone caught your fancies off? So I have the table up here now. We'll just go through both of them. The first one is for the last three game weeks. They're sorted by shots in the box. Bamford is on top with 14. Mitrovic is second with 9. Calvert-Lewin, 8. Wilson, 7. The same as Kane. Then Wadi and Warner. So, and then let's now move on to non-penalty XG. We saw now Mitrovic completely drops off. That indicates the shots he's been getting have been quite rubbish quality. Now, Bamford is at 3.78. And Wilson is at what? The second place, Wilson is at 1.74. So, Bamford has more than double the XG non-penalty than the second place guy. It's nice to see Vardy now posting good numbers. He wasn't really doing that before. He's at 1.68. Calvert-Lewin's at 1.48. And Werner is at 1.23. So, these guys all look like good options. We can discuss them. But I'm quite keen on Bamford, even with the tough fixtures. You you had a feeling about him, I think, around pod four, I think, three or yep. four game weeks ago. Just before the De Bruyne injury, I wanted to get him in and then that completely changed plans around. So, I always like strikers who are playing for more attacking teams. I think because ultimately, and I think Leeds are very unique in the sense that even if they're away to a Liverpool, as we saw, or away to like, you know, a Chelsea, they're going to still play the same way. They're not going to park the bus. So, I think Bamford's going to keep getting chances. And in his bracket, we have Wilson, we have Watkins, and we have Che Adams. So, how how would you rank these four strikers in this slightly cheaper bracket? See, now Che Adams is someone I owned for a long time. I still think he's not ultimately he's not a talisman. Ings is the talisman of that team. Now, Ings, Adams is always going to chip in here and there. But when you have other talismans in offer at the same like you know similar price like Bamford and Wilson, I'll probably favor those. Now, Wilson is a tricky one because. Traditionally, like, I wouldn't want to... Like, if you look at his stats over the last three game weeks, I think he's had three shots on target. Two of them came against Everton. And now, anytime I see the Newcastle fixture prop up for my defender, I think there's a good chance of a clean sheet. And I'm sure that's the case with any team. Like, even if you own a Palace defender, you see a fixture against Newcastle, you think, oh, there's a good chance of a clean sheet here. So, I don't really want to buy a striker from a team like that. So I think Wilson is maybe a little bit better than Mitrovic in the sense that if his team scores, he's likely to be involved. But it's just so dull watching him. You just Newcastle have no plan in terms of attack. They just sit back, sit back. None of their wing backs, full backs bomb forward. And they only play on the counter. So what who's your favorite, Jan, from the cheaper price bracket? Well to begin with, I think Zofer you're a bit harsh in Newcastle. Maybe. I mean <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of don't get this team because um, I saw a bits against Everton and they, as you said, obviously they play on the counter. But when you look at the options and when you, you look at their football in possession on the counter, when you look at, at Ryan Fraser, Callum Wilson, which we talked about, Alainstein Maximo, they're, you know, they're fun to watch. But for some reason, against United, for example, they scored the early goal through, through uh, uh, Luke Shaw own goal. And for some reason, they decided to sit deep for the it's, remaining it's 80 Steve minutes. Bruce. It's a Steve Bruce team. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah they've, been know, playing, they've been playing five at the back and they've been playing Hendrik and uh, the and then Longstaff in midfield. And the impetus of the play is only on these front two or three. In the final third on the counter... Wilson always ends up getting one really good chance in a game. But uh, I think uh, in possession, because I think they have easier fixtures now, I, I don't know if they have a plan. I'm not confident. And, you know, the one thing with Wilson is, uh, he's, yeah, he's posting good numbers, but uh, they've all been on the counter. I mean, that's what the eye test tells me. 
I don't know if they'll create enough in possession. And three or four out of the six goals so far have been penalties as well. Yep. So it's, you can't rely on that. I don't think that's sustainable. What is sustainable is the sheer volume of chances that Leeds and Bamford are getting. And I mentioned it on the last part as well. I don't see them dropping despite the fixtures because I feel like Leeds will have a go at any team that they're playing. They won't uh, stop from playing their original style. And uh, Bamford can be frustrating. I mean, even in the last game, I thought he had two really good opportunities. I wish he took them because I had Ailing, who assisted both of them. Uh, but I don't see this volume dropping. I mean, Leeds, are, Leeds and Bamford are top four shots in the box among strikers and amongst all teams in the last four game weeks. That's, that's all that you need to know. The only person I'd really get tempted for is uh, Watkins because Aston Villa are putting good numbers in attack as well. They are in the top four for shots in box in the last four. But when it comes to Villa, I can't look beyond Grealish at the moment. So uh, that's where I'd go if mm. I was looking. Because Watkins isn't even in the top ten for non-penalty xG over the last three. Exactly, exactly. And what what you're thinking on the premium strikers? I own Werner, and uh, I'm really happy to hold him. I thought he looked pretty good last game week. Uh, Chelsea are finally, uh, you know, they showed uh, signs of coming together as a team in the last game week. I thought Lampard had a good setup. Mount. Playing really well in that 4-3-3 setup. Kanté in the pivot is is his best position as well. Uh, and I thought Hakim Ziyech really really impressed me. And I feel like him being in the team is really good for Werner because he has that passing range to find them. So I'm I'm happy to own Werner. If someone was looking for a punt in the slightly premium range, uh, Anthony Martial has a good run of fixtures. I see him straight back in the team. I see him playing as striker. United has a good run of fixtures. After next game week, where they're playing West Brom at home, he's sort of a flat track bully. I, I use Marshall really well last season. He's only 8.7, so I think he's a really, really attractive, attractive uh, pick. Uh, I wouldn't be too worried about uh, United because I think the poor fixtures are behind us, and we've been sort of an inconsistent Jekyll and Hyde team. But uh, as we saw post restart last season, we're capable of uh, scoring a few against the slightly poor teams. So I like that punt a lot. Hmm. The Pulisic injury is quite unfortunate for Werner because I think he's going to be out wide again for a few games. But but I saw I, what I noticed. I mean, I, I was looking at the position map, and uh, Tammy Abraham was sort of dropping a little deep and interlinking play like how Giroud or Firmino do, and Werner and Vieira uh, were making runs beyond. Uh, I I wasn't uh, disappointed, and also primarily because Chilwell holds a lot of the width on that left. Inside, so it allows Werner to do what he cut does inside. best, which is cut inside. You know, so I wouldn't be too worried about Werner's positioning, even if Pulisic is injured. What's your thoughts there, Ian? Who do you like in the premium striker bracket? Uh, I do like Werner as well. And one question to Zofar um, is: uh, Do you expect Werner to play on the left wing constantly instead of, for example, Werner up front and Mount left wing? Because, as Pranil mentioned. Um, Cantwell, Cantwell, obviously not Cantwell, but uh, Chilwell does offer a lot of width on the left left hand side, which I think allows Mount to to kind of drift around those areas, not necessarily um, hug the touchline, mm -hmm. which should favor uh, Werner. He he could continue playing up front. Obviously, he was meant to be rested against um, Burnley, but Polisic injury meant he he went back into the eleven. Scored the goal, and um, I do do like him going forward. He's he's one of my potential Jimenez replacements. 
uh, you said Marshall, Pranel. I'm just not 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 so sure about Marshall because we look look decent, obviously, with him in the Champions League. We won two games against Paris Saint Germain and Leipzig, and he seems to to have been a miss um, missing kind of piece in our puzzle in the league games. That's why we we were able to score against both Chelsea and then Arsenal a few days ago. Uh, I just think Bruno Fernandes and Rashford offer more, more value in that midfield position, especially this year, now that Rashford is a midfielder. I think he's going to comfortably outscore Martial throughout the season. And uh, there are other options. You mentioned um, Shay Adams so far. He is a nice pick. I really like him, but only if Danny Yanks is in the team. Right. If he's left alone and playing alongside... Not with um, Shane Long. Not with Shane Long aside, absolutely. Yeah, just <laughs> that's just a slight down, downgrade, isn't it? Uh, so as long as Yanks is fit, is fit, I would say uh, Che Adams is an interesting option. Obviously, I still like Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He just finds himself in, the, in great positions. I think Everton going to continue to score some goals, especially when James Rodriguez and especially uh, Richarlison are back. So I do fancy Calvert-Lewin to continue scoring goals. I wouldn't bring him in. I wouldn't be in a hurry anyway to bring him in if I didn't own him. But I'm absolutely comfortable keeping uh, keeping the Englishman in my squad. So both of you are like Werner. Would would either of you be tempted to go Vardy over Werner? What are the fixtures? I think they have some decent fixtures coming up, Leicester, right? I think they have Liverpool yeah. away right after the international break. But I think after that, the run is quite good. Yeah, after that, they have Fulham at home, Sheffield United away, Brighton at home and Everton at home. Yes, decent decent fixtures there. Yeah. So I think Vardy is definitely a decent option. He's a good differential. I think, Joe, you had asked about Mount playing on the wing. So now with the, what we've done, we've not gone to a 4-3-3 system. And I, I think Lamps has finally realized that Mount is not effective on the wing. He's much more effective in midfield because he gives you much more ball progression. I think he's even sacrificed the idea of playing Havertz at number 10 now. So I think while Pulisic is out, I think Werner is going to be the primary option for the left wing. Because the only other really person he can put there is Hudson Adoy, and he doesn't really trust him. So I think while Pulisic is out, Werner is going to play left wing at least. Also, Mount had one of his better games. I thought because uh, he's playing in his while best he position. struggled in the first four or five games, I thought he was one of Chelsea's best players against Burnley. Exactly. I was impressed. So with that I think now him. he's found a system that works. So I think it's all about just changing the personnel who fit that spots accordingly. All right. I think. So, how do you fit in that scenario? How do you fit? Do you fit Kai Havertz and Hakim Ziyech in one team? How we played against Burnley. That's how. It's a four-three-three with those two guys at the as a free-roaming number eights, Mounted Havertz, Ziyech on the right wing. And doesn't make, in your opinion, Ziyech an attractive option because I keep hearing he's gonna score a lot of goals, mostly from outside of the box. He doesn't take as many touches from inside of the box. Do you expect this to change compared to what he did at Ajax? Because what I said right now is basically what he did throughout his busy uh, career. I think it's yeah. very difficult for me to say right now because I think I've only seen one game. I think the first game we saw was Krasnodar. I can't read too much into that because like, you know, it's like the Liverpool game against very weak opposition in the Champions League. There's not really much you can discern from that. And again, even against the, in the Burnley game, he had one shot. He had one shot, one, one attempted assist and both were converted. So, I think the sample size possibly is too small. But like LR said, I think now, if we continue to use a sort of Tammy Abraham in a false nine role, then I think Ziyech would come into play a lot more. But I do think, I think Ziyech will offer probably the good fantasy potential. I think probably more so than Havertz in this position. 
but I definitely think he's offering value at his price, seven point nine yen. Uh, I mean, I was having a look at the position map, and uh, he was furthest forward amongst all Chelsea forwards uh, when I had looked uh, in the members area, in the fantasy football squad members area. So I feel like if you were to jump early, the run of fixtures is there. I think he's going to offer value at seven point nine. Also, uh, with yet it's it's something he's, that he's, he's in his prime. Now. Yeah, he's eight, and he's in his prime, right? He's twenty-seven or twenty-eight. uh so i am not too worried about you know him playing good football because he's been one of europe's best players in the past two or three years so i i wouldn't mind jumping in early for someone like atiash i think he's a great option right. all right uh that's uh, enough on the striker talk we'll uh, move into the deep dive for teams uh, first up is west ham what's your thinking there yan i'll put this first to you Uh, my first uh, thing that comes to mind is I'm really curious to see how they're going to set up against Fulham. As we mentioned before, there's a big talking point whether they're going to stick with the five at the back. You said you expect them to stick with five at the back. Um, I'm not sure. That kind of brings me to the next point. Who do we trust from their defense? As already mentioned, I really like Crespo. Uh, I also like from what I saw from the Itis. I'm not sure how his status statistics look. But I really like what I saw from Kufal, the new signing from Slavia Prague, uh, and I also wouldn't mind thinking about Fabianski. I am thinking about Fabianski myself. My team is lacking a playing keeper after Ryan was dropped by by Potter, so Fabianski alongside Mendy is um, is one of my potential candidates. The thing with Fabianski is this season they don't seem to concede that many shots, and um, for that reason he doesn't get many saves. Historically, he's been a great fantasy keeper because he didn't keep that many clean sheets. But when he did, he got maximum bonus. He was great at saving penalties, which I I think is a great bonus with with goalkeepers. Uh, and there is a bit of obviously some uh, Polish bias and nostalgia, nostalgia with Fabianski, um, but he he is a nice option given the fixtures, you know. So. Uh, as for attacking options, uh, there's Bowen, there's uh, Fornals, who looks really hungry and attacking in recent weeks. Mm, just not sure how they're gonna work without Antonio. Haller is a massive down- downgrade compared to Antonio, and they completely changed their game style without Antonio. So that's a big, uh, big question mark. I'm not sure where, when Antonio is going to come back. So that's also a, a big factor. If you had to pick one between. Uh... Suchek, Fornals, and Bowen. Which midfielder would you go for? Bowen, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Zoff, what's your thinking when it comes to the attack? So I've got the table up here in terms of xG non-penalty. Antonio is obviously on top, but the name Jo mentioned, Bowen, is at number two. Now Bowen has had he's created two chances over the last I think this is how many yeah the last six game weeks, which is not much. Two chances created is nothing really to talk home about, and he's landed only three shots on target. In six appearances, but the XG non-penalty is two point one eight. So I'm guessing these are all very good chances. Yep, yep. But he's I, sort of playing as an inside forward hmm. at the moment. I I still like Suchek though. I think Suchek is going to offer outstanding value at four point nine for this one. And I think you had mentioned it on previous pods. He's going to have more freedom now to go forward. Correct. Exactly. I did a deep dive on West Ham last game week. I did an article on them on Fantasy Football Scout. So I'm just going to read out some stats. Now, when it comes to shots in the box per 90, Suchek has 1.5, Fornals has 1.48, and Bowen has 1.21. But Bowen is top of all three for big chances per 90, and Bowen also gets the higher quality chances per 90. 
So this translates into Bowen having higher XGI per 90, which is higher than both Fonals and Suchek. And personally, I think Bowen is a really good finisher as well. I think he's a class finisher. So if I had to pick one between the three, I'd pick Bowen. Uh, but I also feel like uh, if you don't really have the money, I have no problems picking a Suchek because uh, at his price, which is around 4.9 or 5 at the moment, I think he's going to offer enough value given West Ham's fixture and now because I don't see them sitting as deep as they have in the previous games. So his defensive workload, like you mentioned, reduces. So I see him making further uh, runs in the box. I wish, uh, I wish uh, Antonio was fit though, because I think that would um, end the striker conversation we have. I think he's the best mm. option in the 6.3 bracket. Uh, amongst the defense, like like Jan mentioned earlier, uh, we aren't really sure whether they're going to be sticking to four at the back or five at the back. But I'm beginning to think that they won't change shape because Masuaku has done really, really well uh, playing that wing back. Uh, you know, he's making a lot of runs in the box, more so than Kufal. His attacking statistics when it comes to chance creation or shots is higher than Kufal. I'm beginning to think that uh, uh, West Ham won't change their shape. So like Gio, I'm uh, waiting to see how they set up in the next game. And if uh, they're going to stick to five at the back, I prefer Masuaku to Kufal. But if you want to play the safe game, I prefer Cresswell. Cresswell is the best option because of uh, chance creation due to set pieces. So yeah, Agreed. that's my thinking. I also, one thing I, I want to add regarding the Sochek and Bowen comparison. You mentioned that Sochek gets uh, a high XG per per game over one. Is that, is that correct? Or one shot over one no, shot no. per game? No, Bowen gets the highest XGI for 90. Uh, Suchek gets the highest shots in the box for 90, but they're headed chances. Yeah, that, that's fair enough because uh, that kind of uh, complements what I um, what I saw from West Ham from the eye test because Suchek gets uh, a lot of those half chances in the year, you know, that probably accumulate to high numbers of expected goal involvement. However, none of them are big chances from what I've seen in from West Ham in the recent years. Obviously, as you said, if they switch the formation or against um, smaller teams, he basically can see himself more often in dangerous positions. However, there's obviously one 1.5 price difference, which is which is huge. It's like comparing Kufal to, let's say, Ben Chilwell. And the other thing is um, Bowen can find himself, especially in Antonio's absence, as the lone striker if Moyes isn't happy with, with Sebastian Haller, which he obviously wasn't in the earlier stages of the season where Bowen found himself playing as a lone striker when Antonio was subbed off. So that's another factor that leads me towards uh, trusting Bowen, and he possibly could be one of my new names, names on the team sheet. Also, there's um, a friend of mine, Jeremy, has been hyping up Bowen before he moved to the Premier League, and he's like one of his favorite picks in the game right now. And I might follow suit because he does pass the items for me. And you know, jumping on those fixtures could be worth it. He's a great differential. Yeah, and he's got a certain class about him when it comes to his finishing as well. I've enjoyed watching him for West Ham so far. Mm -hmm. uh, just, just want to add uh, to what you mentioned, Joe. Uh, the XG model actually takes the headed chances into consideration. So headed chances have a much lower XG compared to you know shots that you take off the foot. So just wanted to mention that they do take that into consideration. All right, uh, let's let's move to the next team, which is. Arsenal. Now, uh, we've spoken about the Arsenal defence earlier in terms of uh, Bellerin and uh, Gabriel, so we won't uh, talk about that too much. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of attack? Anyone interest you at all? Yeah. 
uh, I am completely uninterested in Arsenal. <laughs> the only one player I am possibly thinking about is Bukayo Saka, and that's mainly because of his uh, price tag. He's still like 5.3 million. Uh, I thought he looked very lively against us at Old Trafford, and um, he's a great talent. Uh, Arteta seems to trust him a lot. The thing is, we may seem, see him in some games playing as a left wing back, which is kind of discouraging. But if he does play a four at the back formation, we can see Saka as the left winger or the number 10. So at this price, he possibly offers a lot of value. Uh, meanwhile, the likes of Aubameyang, who, who seems to be heavily overpriced at the moment. He doesn't get into the box off enough. He doesn't pass the itis for me. He looks like a guy who's just happy with the new contract and he's just going to, you know, just be around the team and, and stuff. But I, I don't think he's going to replicate last season's uh, goal scoring output. I may be wrong because he's been consistently for the last five or six seasons one of the best strikers in Europe. So he may prove me wrong, but at the moment I don't see much value in getting Obama and when we have so many other uh, premium options firing. Doc, we were talking about uh, Oba playing a striker finally and Arteta showed some signs of them. Nothing so far. So what are your thoughts there? Nothing. Nadal? I think and if you look at his stats, they're very much like a winger. Now his XGI is the highest over the last six weeks of any Arsenal player. That's 2.1. But his XG non-penalty is just 0.25. That's abysmal. Like, in contrast, the name that J.O. mentioned, Saka, he has an XG non-penalty of 1.23. He's taken 10 shots in the box to Aubameyang's 3. So, Aubameyang's yeah. stats are terrible. Absolutely terrible. So, I think Saka is actually a decent shout. But is he secure in that team? I don't know. I think I think his talent is good enough. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't trust uh, whether he's going to be starting. But I feel like uh, uh, there was a little uh, problem with his contract uh, at the end of last season. I feel like Arteta has promised him a starting position in the team to have him sign because he was one of Europe's brightest talents. Uh, I really rate him as a player as well. I've spoken about him a lot since last year. I was surprised to see him top four shots in the box amongst all mids under six million, higher than Podence, higher than Suchek. So his stats are definitely there, and you know, even though they're playing five, I mean, uh, Arsenal played five at the back against United as well. But Saka was spending a lot of time in the box for every attack that was coming, where Willian was crossing from the right hand side. Uh, Saka was present inside the box to tap that in. So I wouldn't be too worried. I'm, I'd be happy to take that punt at 5.3. Also, I feel like Arsenal are going to start finding a little more rhythm because of what I mentioned earlier in terms of Partey being a really quality player. And then needing to play just one in the pivot and adding a little more creativity to that team. Hmm. So, yeah, that's my thinking. Good. Let's move on to Newcastle now. I think we've discussed Wilson now. I just wanted to ask you guys now. Let's say this is Newcastle's fixture run. Now, over the next five, they're ranked third on the scout ticker for difficulty. Now, they play Southampton, Chelsea, Palace and Villa. Over the next four, do you think these are necessarily easy fixtures for Newcastle in terms of attack? Not really. I mean, they look like pretty difficult uh, defences. So, I wouldn't uh, go there. Southampton, Chelsea, Palace, Villa. I see Newcastle scoring maybe a couple of times. Exactly. In those four games. I think that's the thing. They have the West Brom fixture in game week 12. That's obviously a good one. But now, Southampton have one of the best defensive records. Chelsea are better defensively. Palace are all right at home. And Villa, obviously, a lot of us with Martinez, they're not too bad at home either. So, I don't think the fixture run is as easy as it looks on paper. Jan, what do you think? Oh, it is pretty terrible, even on paper, I would say. Because uh, as you mentioned, Crystal Palace don't, don't let many goals pass them. 
Uh, Aston Villa has been one of the best teams defensively so far this season. Uh, even when they conceded three goals, um, sorry, four goals even against Southampton, I had I think they had like a crazy 0.5 xG yeah. uh, as the goals came from two wonderful strikes from Ward Prowse and a great goal by Danny Ings. So Villa, Crystal Palace, all great defenses. Um, Chelsea are suddenly looking like a solid defensive unit with Mendy and goal. And as you mentioned, Southampton are also getting uh, getting much, much, much better at the back. So I would say the next four fixtures are really difficult for, for Newcastle. I wouldn't get anywhere near Callum Wilson if I didn't own him. If I own him, possibly give him the Southampton game. Yeah. Possibly. But if you want to gain ground or uh, just dip, get a differential out, I wouldn't mind selling Callum Wilson either. Yeah. I mean, my brother's uh, been playing... Uh... FPL pretty seriously uh, this season in comparison to previous years. Now he got uh, Wilson uh, in a couple of weeks ago, and I absolutely ridiculed him for that <laughs> peak. And he's, and he's throwing those two goals in my face. But I keep telling him it's not going to sustain. Yeah, he sent me a couple so, yeah. of messages on Twitter asking for questions. I want to tell him go in the next room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ask him over there. Yeah. He's like, studying in the States right oh, now. Oh, that's he's what it is. Uh, makes yeah. sense. Right, let's move yeah. on to the fixtures then, and let's discuss a few of them. All right, first up is Everton versus United. Yeah, and how do you see that going? No bias. Uh, no bias at all. And because of that no bias, I can see us easily winning <laughs> at Goodison Park. Um, we talked about it uh, a bit earlier with, with Pernil. I, um, I think we are an inconsistent team. And obviously, we are kind of difficult to predict. But I'm, the main thing is I'm not really impressed by Everton, especially in the last two games against Southampton and against uh, Newcastle. Obviously, they missed Denier, who is going to be back in the team. And they did miss uh, James Rodriguez, who is also expected to be back. Um, it's just that kind of a game. First of all, I definitely see Bruno Fernandes scoring. It's just a feeling I have, and uh, he's great away from home. Uh, I think we will be high on confidence after probably an easy game against Istanbul in the Champions League. Mm. I hope Ole drops Pogba and goes again uh, with a wider formation. I don't think playing uh, a narrow formation will be a good idea against Everton. So if he does uh, opt for a possibly, hopefully, five at the back, I hope Alex Taez will be back for the team as well uh, by that time. Uh, I just just I have just have a feeling it will be a quite uh, quite easy easy game for Manchester. I agree. I feel like Richarlison is a big loss for Everton. It's a good time to play them, even though they have Dinia back and Hamez might be back. I just feel like uh, what Richarlison offers as an, another outlet uh, that would be something that would have troubled us. Uh, I'm pretty confident about us winning in against Everton as well, especially because uh, what I saw against. Uh, in their performance against Newcastle as well, Everton looked pretty unconvincing uh, defensively. Mm. So I fancy us to get a few goals against Everton. I, I think they've conceded two, I think, in most, I think the last three games of last four games, something like that. Exactly, exactly. And so, they yeah, haven't won it, any of the last eight fixtures in which it, Richarlison hasn't started. Yeah, so big loss. So yeah, that's why I see us winning. Zoff, any unbiased opinions? I don't think it'll be easy. And if Hamez is back and Dean is back, I don't think it'll be easy. You guys might still edge it, I think, 2-1, maybe at 1-1. But I don't think it's going to be a walkover like you guys are thinking. All right. Yeah. I agree with Yan, though. I hope Pogba's dropped because we look better without him and with him as an impact, impact sub so far. Another thing with, with Everton is they didn't seem to cope 
at all against uh, Newcastle's counterattacks. And they were really like struggling to keep the width of, of um, Newcastle's wingers. And I'm not sure how they're going to cope with, with our wingers. And obviously no bias and stuff, but I just feel it's going to be, be a much more comfortable game than it would have been, as you said, Pranil, if Richarlison played. And um, I think they are just kind of a hot and cold team. I mean, I remember their form. Uh, after Ancelotti joined uh, mid-season, they had some great run of fixtures and some great results uh, in January and then February, and then kind of slowed down post-restart. Obviously, you could put some of this uh, these results down to lack of motivation and stuff. They didn't have anything to play for. Uh, but, you know, just um, to do bad results to Newcastle and Southampton, I would say pretty unexpected. You would expect to win them to win at least one of those games. And uh, and suddenly they looked like a team that couldn't defend uh, against pace at all. So it's a game I'm fairly confident about as a Manchester United fan. Much more confident about than I was uh, before the Arsenal game. All right. Next one we have is the big one for the weekend. City versus Liverpool. Now, I'll, I'll go first here. I mean, Liverpool, there's a lot of talk about, you know, City not looking like the team as they did uh, last season. But I don't think Liverpool have looked very convincing. Either. I mean, they lost big to Aston Villa. Uh, they drew against Everton. And they just managed to scrape wins against uh, Sheffield United and West Ham United. I do feel like City have the capacity to take advantage of uh, that uh, diminished Liverpool defence that exists right now. Uh, and uh, if they, as long as they drop Riyad Mahrez, who I think is a problem in that City team, I thought he was the reason why Sterling didn't haul. Uh, in the last game as well. This, she's just so selfish. She's not passing at the moment as well. And uh, there were rumors about uh, uh, Mares and De Bruyne having a huge fallout because of how selfish she was uh, after the last game. Uh, so if Mares is dropped, uh, I see City edging this and winning this. also feel like Klopp will be slightly more conservative than he is usually because I think Pep needs to win more than Klopp does given the position in the table at the moment. So that's, that's my thinking. What do you guys think? I'm still waiting on the news uh, regarding Fabinho, but he's probably going to be out. But there is still um, Thiago and also Joel Matip, who was just back in training. So if he is back, that's going to be a big boost for Liverpool, obviously. But I still see Man City winning pretty comfortably. And they de- they definitely look like a more de- defensively sound unit with Ruben Dias. Uh, I think he's forming a good partnership with Laporte. I'm slightly concerned uh, from City's perfect perspective about Joan Casella, who obviously looks like a great threat up front uh, on the wing, and he's posting great attacking numbers. But as a defender, he looks really suspect. I, I do recall the game against FC Porto in the first round of Champions League fixtures when he was uh, absolutely non-existent as a left defender in that game. And I think it's something Trent Alexander-Arnold and uh, Salah could take advantage of. Unless, obviously, uh, Guardiola decides to play Zinchenko or, or possibly Nathan Ake. And Nathan Ake is a guy we didn't mention and we should have mentioned when talking about Cancelo because he already played a few times this season as left-back and he looks like this you know, more defensively sound option if, if Peps decide to play like this. So um, whether Cancelo or Ake plays in this game is a big, uh, big question mark for me. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty much open game. I don't think Klopp's going to go conservative. As you said, he doesn't need to win. Obviously, he wants to win, but he doesn't need to win 
And for that exact reason, I think uh, he will be more open and more willing to attack. Hmm. Oh. 3-0 City for me. Similar to what happened in the restart. Wow, that's a big prediction. The boldest prediction we've had from the draw this season. What's, what's your thinking there? I think primarily because I think Van Dijk is injured. I don't think Liverpool have really hit the heights, I think, in terms of fluidity, in terms of flow. And at home, I think the record at the Etihad, I think Klopp versus Pep, I think it's pretty one-sided in terms of Guardiola, in favour of Guardiola. So, I think City will win this comfortably. I actually think I like Sterling is a great captain shout for this week. All right, all right. No, I mean, owning Kane, I feel like I just wouldn't want to go anywhere else. This mm. week. We'll, we'll, we'll come next to your boys, Chelsea versus Sheffield United. Mm-hmm. What's your thinking? How do you see, see that game shaping up? I think I'm interested to see now what shape Lamp keeps for this one. Now, I think the last year during the restart, I think we we kept our usual shape and Sheffield's back three, the system completely overran us now. I think he will actually will switch up to a back three, which will probably make Chilwell at wing back a great option. during here. So, But somebody will have to miss out. In the front, it might be Abraham, it might be, I don't think it'll be Mount, knowing Lampard. So, I'm interested to see what happens over here. But I do think he needs to go to a back three to match Sheffield. Jan, how do you see this game going? I would say a low-scoring, pretty comfortable win for Chelsea. Yeah. I would say 2-0. 1-0, 2-0. Nothing, yeah, like nothing unexpected. They don't offer too much Sheffield going forward. And uh, even if they park the bus, I think Chelsea will have just enough creativity from Ziyech, from Mount, from Havertz to break down the defense. So I think that's going to be a fairly comfortable win. I wouldn't captain a Chelsea player, whether it's Ziyech or Havertz or Werner, because as I said, it's not going to be high scoring in my opinion. But I still expect Chelsea to win fairly comfortably. All right. I, I, I echo your sentiments. I feel like Chelsea are suited to playing teams like Burnley and Sheffield United now with the creativity they have in the team. So, I see a low-scoring 1-0, 2-0 sort of win for Chelsea as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to West Brom versus Spurs. Uh, I feel like this is the obvious captaincy shout for the weekend. Uh, West Brom uh, looked fairly leaky against a team like Fulham as well. Maybe they were uh, looking to attack a team like Fulham, which is why they were looking. But I feel like uh, Spurs have enough in them. And I don't think West Brom, uh, the gulf in quality between a team like West Brom and uh, Spurs is too big. Uh, it's the obvious captaincy option for me. And I, I I own Harry Kane. And who he is who I'm going to captain. If I owned Harry Kane and Son, I'd still captain Kane just because of penalties, like we mentioned at the top of the pod, where you need to take that into consideration. I don't feel like Son is going to have uh, as much space as he did against uh, Southampton or uh, United, you know, where he went crazy. So Spurs winning by three goals, Kane to get a brace. Where how I'm calling it. I don't think it'll be that high scoring because I think now again West Brom are going to park the bus here. They were obviously much more ambitious, like you said, versus Fulham. They committed more men forward. I think here is going to be backs to the wall defending. I think maybe one nil, two nil, something like that. Yan? Yan? Sorry. I'm I'm just kind of confused because um on one hand, obviously Spurs are the big favorites. And also, I saw West Brom yesterday, most of the game. And uh, as you said, Zofor, they were fairly ambitious, something we didn't see from them, for example, against Brighton away a week ago, where, where they were pretty solid. They only conceded an own goal, which was pretty unlucky, I thought. And Brighton, a really good attacking team, didn't create much against West Brom. Um, it is an interesting debate, something I'm going to look into um, tomorrow for sure when, when putting up the, the article. 
Um, but I still expect uh, Tottenham to to win by two goals. Just just not sure if that's going to be a high-scoring affair. Mm. As you said so far, um, they did look fairly um, fairly attacking and um, fairly, you know, adventurous against Fulham. Something I don't expect them to do against uh, Tottenham. So it's an interesting question. And uh, as of now, I've been fairly confident on Kane with uh, with a Kane captaincy. However, I'm going to think about Sterling now that you mentioned it, since I am confident about a, ch- a possible City win. Just one thing about Sterling, he hasn't scored or maybe just scored one goal in like his previous eight or nine appearances against Liverpool. I think last time he, he scored a brace, right, Pranil? Don't you remember the, yeah, the restart? Yeah, the, the game after restart, uh, City absolutely demolished Liverpool and Sterling got a brace and an assist, if yes, I'm not. I remember uh, that. Right, that was, yeah. that was the game after they clinched the title though, so yeah, I don't yeah, count yeah. exactly. really. Yeah. And I also own Sterling for the game, but as I said, it doesn't really count, does it? I mean, they were still yep. hangover at the time. Yep, that's true. Fair. That's true. If both both of you all own Kane and Son, uh, if you had to pick one a captain, both of you would go Kane over Son this game. I think so. I'll go yeah. Kane. I mean, that was a mistake I made. This. I mean, I kind of felt Son is a is a more explosive pick this week against Brighton, so I don't think it was a bad decision to captain Son. But considering either. considering how many penalties West Brom have already given away, and considering how uh, how Mitrovic got his Mitrovic got his two assists yesterday, even though he didn't get a shot on target, didn't even get a shot at all during the 90 minutes, uh, he was still uh, dominating those centre backs, and uh, and I would favour him over some because of the penalties as well. All right, let's move to the differentials then. Uh, my pick for this week is uh, corners because I feel like uh, I, I, I was looking into those West Ham numbers and the numbers look more encouraging than I thought they'd be. So, and I fancy West Ham to score a couple of goals against Fulham. So, that's my differential pick for the game week. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jan? Pretty interesting um, name you have there. Yeah, I am going with Gareth Bale. It's kind of a nostalgia pick, isn't he? Um, but I do expect him to finally start in that Tottenham 11 against West Brom after, after he scored the winner against Brighton. Uh, Lamela didn't look particularly good, so I think it's an easy decision to make for Jose Mourinho. Obviously, we're going to have to monitor the Europa League game, whether Bale starts or not. But if he doesn't start in Europa, I would be really tempted. Uh, if I didn't own two Tottenham players, I would be even tempted to get him in because he's such a... Uh, such an explosive uh, pick as we know from the past and um, possibly high on confidence after scoring this winner. Zop, your pick? Suchek. Nice one. Playing the fixture there. Yep, yep. At 2.7% only ownership. I was quite surprised to see that. Yep, yep. I think that's going to increase pretty drastically. All it's going to take is a goal. Yep, yep. That's the price. All right. Next up, we have our friend Bakar Stats. Uh, first up is uh, him talking about Chilwell and Zuma. Zoff, why don't you tell us about mm-hmm. that? So, Bakas, Chilwell versus Zuma. His choice would be Chilwell. Chilwell is second for touches in the final third and chance creation for defenders since he has started featuring. So, his numbers have been consistent. Zuma, meanwhile, has scored thrice but has only registered a single big chance. So, there's an element of overperformance to the points tally he has achieved so far. Those numbers suggest that Chilwell is worth the premium. Agree, Bakar. Agree, especially as a Chilwell owner, I'm happy. Uh, next up, Bakar talks to us about Bamford, where he says that 
No player in the league has accumulated more big chances and shots in the box than Patrick Bamford over the past couple of game weeks. During this spell, Bamford has the highest, highest xG and has scored more goals than anyone else in the league. He was unlucky not to register versus Leicester. He accumulated three big chances, which was the highest he managed in a single game all season. Yet he blanked. I think he will continue to offer value for his price regardless of the fixtures because Leeds play the same way against every side. They just again I agree, but. Uh, the the thing about uh, whether he was unlucky if you ask the leeds fan uh, they will say that they have seen a lot of this last season in terms of him missing fairly easy chances correct next up is a stat on brighton mm-hmm. now the brighton attack game week 1 to 4 versus game week 5 to 7 interestingly brighton's attack has significantly dropped off after the opening game weeks despite their fixtures being considerably easier on paper as highlighted below now Now the shots inside the box per game 7.75 versus 6.67 big chances per game 2.5 versus 0.3 wow minutes per chance 6.9 versus 9.4 apparently mope has been dropped out due to attitude problems so it might make sense to get rid of him given doubts over starting positions and brighting brighton's poor attacking form all right interesting interesting yeah there do seem some problems in that team especially given his selection. All right, we'll be talking about our teams now. Uh, I'll go first. first. Yep. All right, for the benefit of our listeners, I'll just uh, read out my team. I've got Martinez as my keeper. In defense, I have Chilwell, Ailing and Lamptey. In midfield, I have Salah, Sterling, Foden and Foden. And as my striker, I have Werner. I have Kane, who's my captain. And I have Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Uh, at the moment, I'm uh, looking to save because we have an international break. after the next game week and i feel like uh, it's always an advantage to hold two free transfers for post international break and i'm pretty happy with my team at the moment if at all i was to move i'd go for somebody like uh, bovin or suchek but i feel like uh, getting more information at the moment so i'm likely to save as things stand mm-hmm. yan you're up next so for the benefit of the listeners i'll also read out the team and it starts with mati ryan or uh Southampton's Forrester in goal. Neither of them is a starter, so it doesn't matter which one I start. In defense I have uh, Tariq Lamptey, Nelson Semedo and Andy Robertson. I also have Trent Alexander-Arnold and uh, Mitchell benched. Furthermore, in midfield I have Raheem Sterling, Foden, Lukman, Son and uh, Bissouma. While in attack I have a pretty expensive front three of Calvert-Lewin, Raul Jimenez and Harry Kane. I currently we discussing earlier you might be making some big moves this game week. I might be. I might be. I mean the big move I'm already pretty certain on is bringing in a keeper for a minus 4. I need to free up funds from somewhere. So I am pretty set on doing a minus 4 hit. And uh, in order to get funds to possibly buy either Mendy or Fabianski who I already mentioned in place of Ryan Uh, I am looking at selling either Trent Alexander-Arnold or Raul Jimenez. The thing is, as a Raul Jimenez replacement, ideally I would get Timo Werner, which would require for even even further hits. Um, so there is possibly a minus eight on the cards if I decide to bring in Chilwell, uh, Werner, and Mendy. I could even go triple Chelsea and and free moves, or possibly bring in. Uh, just a defender and a goalkeeper which is pretty boring but i think looking at my team uh, it's a necessity to sort out the keeper and to sort out the double um liverpool no. defense 
no plans to get in Mo Salah at the moment? I don't think uh, I can afford to. I, I mean, I the only way I could possibly get Salah right now is through uh, selling Raheem Sterling, which I'm not willing to do. And obviously, I am not willing to sell Hillman Song before West Bromwich Albion. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I can discuss um, and I can fin- think about Mohamed Salah maybe next week when uh, when Tottenham's fixtures turn. But it's a discussion to be had in one week. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. Fair enough. I don't think Ryan, is Ryan dropped permanently, or was it just a one-game thing? I haven't heard anything from Potter at the moment. Potter did mention in the pre-game interview that um, that Matty Ryan needed a briefer. So uh, at this point, the manager seems to be rotating his goalkeepers. Even I mean, that's just uh, Graham Graham Potter does. Mm. I don't know, man. He he may be back in goal against. Um, yeah, I think wait for the press Derby. conference. I think he might give an indication in the press conference. Might be like what Ancelotti did, just give a one game one game break to the keeper. Possibly, so, possibly and, even uh, something going on in the dressing room because mm-hmm. Matty Ryan is a leader and uh, he also dropped Neil Mopé. Oh yeah, that's a good mm. point. That's a good point. Let's see, let's see. I mean, obviously uh, his response was that he wanted to give the chance to to Sanchez, who we never saw before. Uh, but there, there might be something going on behind the scenes. With Ancelotti, he mentioned that Pickford's going to be playing the next game, but he's looking to rotate Everton keepers as he's done in the past as well. Just, I feel like... Uh, it might be something to just, uh, you know, there was a lot of attention on Pickford, which might have affected his confidence. So it must be just that as well. Mm-hmm. So I think I've Your put, team up next, off. I think I put the wrong screenshot up, but I'll read out the right team up. I've got McCarthy in goal, Walker, Peters, Ailing. I'll be benching Trent Alexander-Arnold and playing Justin instead. So in midfield, it'll be Salah, Sun, Barkley, James Rodriguez, who's hopefully fit, Jimenez, Calvert-Lewin and Kane. So the moves I'm planning right now is probably going to be Jimenez to Bamford and I'll upgrade Justin to Chilwell. I think Chilwell's a must-have right now. He's pretty much a Chelsea attacker at 5.9 and 6, so he needs to come in. I would like to get Werner. Maybe I could do that by downloading Barkley to Suchek, but I do think Barkley has decent prospects going forward and has decent fixtures, so there's no really no reason to get rid of him. I agree. I, agree. I like your moves as well that you have planned. No. All right, we move to the... Bucket. Sorry? We've got to just, just touch upon Buckles. He sent that also to us. He's got right. Martinez, Ailing, Trent, Sice, Sun, Sterling, Poden, Salah, Calvert-Lewin, Werner, Watkins. I think he said he's looking to save a free transfer. And he's got Son as his captain at the he, moment. Yes, he does. Pretty nice midfield that with Son, Salah and Sterling. Yeah, I, like yeah, I think it's just, he's just missing Kane, I guess. Yeah, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Let's do a All Q&A. Right, All right. Uh, I'll direct the questions to you guys one by one. First up, we have a question from FPL Mihir. Uh, I have Salah plus Mane as a double up. Should I sell one? Yeah, and what do you think he should do? I think it heavily, heavily depends on whether you have Tottenham assets. I will be tempted to sell Mane if you don't uh, don't own Son or Kane to captain, captain the Tottenham player against West Bromwich Albion. However, if you if you own um, at least one of the Spurs attacking assets, I would say me here you're good to good to save uh, a transfer and keep the Liverpool duo at, at least for the next two weeks, and then possibly reevaluate when City's uh, fixtures turn and look at maybe selling one of them to either De Bruyne or uh, Raheem Sterling. 
Good advice. I agree with it. Next question is from a friend of the pod at the rate rich p underscore spl. He's asking both you and me, Zoraf. With all the content we have been putting out, have you found time uh, found that your process for managing your FPL team has changed? Have you lost time you'd normally use thinking about your own team to writing slash pod research etc. uh most of the research that i do is done by monday morning or tuesday in fact i've been more disciplined this year because i'm doing the pod and we record on tuesday evening uh, so there's enough time on wednesday thursday and friday to think about the team and i feel like i'm more informed than i would be usually by the time because of the research i'm putting in for the pod so i don't think anything has changed in terms of the process i think i've in fact it made me stronger despite the what the ranking and the result is showing i don't think that affected my game any any anything to add here zof no i think i i particularly i'm doing my transfers all after the champions league game and europa league game so that's by friday anyway and we do so much content anyway for scout and various other sites so it's all part of the process now anyway for the past few years all right all right uh, next question is for zof it's from alex adrate nepotorum 11 who is the best hemenas replacement he already has kane and dcl ings is probably out as well Right. So now this is the same forward line that I have, and I think we've discussed this extensively now on the pod. I think Bamford is probably the standout replacement. Watkins second, Wilson third. All right. Next question is for Jio. Uh, it's from Krish at the rate Amasur. Which city assets to bring in for the great run of fixtures? Um, first of all, I think there's um, too much root. Patient risk around the likes of Maris or uh, even Phil Foden, perhaps for Antares. So right now, I would only consider the Bruyne and Sterling from the attacking options. Uh, as for the defense, I think Edison is uh, slightly too expensive, so I wouldn't consider him. I would, however, consider Cancelo, who we already mentioned. However, I would expect Cancelo to miss out on some Premier League games. I mean, at least there is some risk of that happening. So I would have that in mind. That cheaper option. or at least the more secure one is Ruben Diaz for 5.5 if I remember correct, correctly. So I think Diaz is the safe option Cancela if you want to take the risk with potential rotation. All right. Next question for Zof it's from Rob Jones at the rate Jones block 79. Hi guys, who is the best Pulisic replacement? Already have Grealish, Son and Salah. Ziyech. Any reason? I mean we discussed it extensively I think he offers a great potential of goals and assists I think he's a good differential not many people own him and if you want to go safer there's Hamis All right Hamis despite his injury worries I mean only if he's I mean it's fit. if his balls heal All right <laughs> I feel like uh, I'm I'm actually a little worried uh, whether that could be some sort of a recurring problem because he's been struggling with that for a while hasn't he no i mean he so got this... a kick to the nuts so i think he should recover but he is generally an injury prone player if it was something like a hamstring injury or a muscle injury i'd have probably got rid but i'm hoping this is just some bruising all right okay next question uh, is for yan it's from fpl escapades given the massive swing of points and offer with premium assets is it feasible to target the whipping boys mainly fulham and west brom and apply a touch of upside chasing to that I think it is a valid strategy. Uh it's one of the reasons I saw many people holding on to Mitrovic against the West Brom champion giving it him that one more game and it paid off. And I think it is a valid strategy to look at the fixtures because both of those teams are kind of like the Norwich of the last season. They look like losing any game 3-4-0 and they're just not up to Premier League standards. Even though I like some of the names in the Fulham side, 
Uh, I was really impressed by Robinson yesterday. Mitrovic is obviously a striker that is up to Premier League standards. Uh, however, as a team, they just don't look as convincing. Westbro is even worse, to be honest. So I think it is an interesting and very valid strategy when considering the captains. All right. Next question is from Fazul Rabi. Uh, Ashton and Rashford are both 9.6 million now. If you had to choose one, then who is worth breaking in the next five to six game weeks? I feel like if you can find a million, million and a half more, I'd uh, plan for a city asset at the moment because uh, it's worthwhile getting in early on those city assets before the fixture turn. And, you know, all three of us are pretty confident about them against Liverpool as well. So, you know, if you can find a million, million and a half more, try getting a city asset. I'm a little worried about Rash moving back to playing on the left. He's not going to be playing the striker because Marshall is going to be back in the team. Uh, so, if I were to, if I didn't have cash, I'd go cheaper for a Ziyech, a bundle like Ziyech. But I'd definitely try finding more money to get either KDB or Sterling at this point. Okay. Next question is for, uh, it's from Rajveer at the rate redfalcon underscore 30. It's for you, Yan. Take a twist with Man United assets. If you decided to own Manchester United players and stuck with them throughout the Chelsea and Arsenal games, I would just be tempted to keep them for at least two more fixtures. Especially as we mentioned before, the Everton game could be high scoring and we could, uh, I think there's a good chance we score at least two goals at the Goodison Park. Uh, that's the first thing. Second thing is Everton conceded 2.6 expected goals against Newcastle, which is uh, another reason to be optimistic as an owner for uh, Manchester United assets. Obviously, I wouldn't trust the likes of Mason Greenwood or Ederson Cavani if for some reason you own him. But if you own Marcus Rashford or Bruno Fernandes, I think they are good to keep for the Everton game and for the West Bromwich game in game week. Nine it is? Yes, game yes, with nine. Yep, I agree completely. I would also be tempted to to keep uh, a defender if you own. I like uh, I like how we look defensively in the past, basically since the Tottenham game. I think we look much much more solid. We haven't conceded a goal uh, other than the penalty kick from Aubameyang, and uh, we only considered two own goals to Paris Saint Germain and uh, Newcastle. So from open play, we've been clean like five clean sheets in a row from open play, which is really really good. Uh, so I would just wait with your assets until we are done with West Brom and reevaluate from there. Mm, Slabhead has uh, taken six shots in the, the box. Last uh, Slabhead has taken six yeah, shots in the box last three weeks. He was our most uh, attacking threat against uh, Arsenal. He got three shots against Arsenal alone, if I remember correctly. Was that uh, next question? Was that in the nightclub from... or was that on the pitch? <laughs> <laughs> Another good thing about uh, Maguire is that we may see Alex Dejic back, which is one of the best, who is one of the best set-piece takers in the, in the whole league, even in Europe. So it's another big advantage for, for some attacking returns. Yeah, that one game I saw him, the whippage on his delivery was really, really good. We're very happy, very excited seeing more of him play for us. Next question is from a name I really like. It's from Waka Waka Origi at the rate SPL Khan. It's for you, Zoff. Chelsea have a few good games coming up, while Arsenal is turning a tide with very favourable long-term defensive fixtures as well. The variance is bringing up a lull in goals. Defensively, what would be the best sites to place in? Sub-6 million. I think we discussed this extensively. Chilwell, Bellerin, Cancelo, Diaz. I think all four are good picks. Alright. Chilwell, top of your list? Absolutely. Alright. Next question is from Stadium Sports. When you are playing catch-up in your league and everyone has similar form players, what tactics do you use to gain points? I I'll take this one on. 
I haven't really looked at anybody else's team for the past two years, except for my own, and I think that's massively improved my game. Uh, focus on your own team, make your own transfers, and if you were to, you know, look at other teams and play in that sort of way, maybe look at your competitor's team in game week thirty-two, game week thirty-three. If you're behind by fifty, sixty points, then you can, you know, play around with differentials. But until then, keep playing the game that you've been playing, whether you're a maverick sort of a manager or you're a safe manager. No need to change your game style at the moment. Too early. All right. Next question is, uh, Zof, how are we on time? Do we have time for? We might as well finish. Yeah, let's finish up whatever it is. All right. Cool. Next question is for Yan. It's from Simeon Astrala. I think the time has come to break the double Liverpool defense. Which one should I keep, Robbo or Trent? I think you've already answered this yes. one. You're leaning towards keeping Robertson at the moment. That's right. I am in the same boat, and if I decide to sell one of them, I will be tempted to keep Robertson. I'm still deciding whether to to stick with them for two more weeks, but I think it is the time has come to break up with the double defense. So. All right. Next question is for Zoff. What is the ideal defense for the next few week? Next few weeks. This question is from Sachindra at the rate Spark underscore nine. Right. I think again something we've covered. Probably. I think if I was to give in a blank slate, I'd probably go with TA, Chilwell, and Cancelo. Still stick TA in there. Absolutely. I I can't All forget right. that twenty-four pointer away to Leicester. It's forever etched in my memory. Yeah, I remember. If I'm not mistaken, you and uh, AK, a friend of ours, both of you all just sold him just before that. The the one before game. I sold him for the blank. If you remember, they had a blank. Then Leicester had a plan to buy him right after Leicester, and he goes boom, twenty-four points. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, that that that's the variance. That that kind of shit hurts. Mm. All right. The last question for the day is from Alan Duggan. What are your feelings on Sterling? You captained him again this week. Incredibly frustrating to own, but is is he just a week away from scoring big, or is it a repeat of last year? Uh, I'm really happy to keep him. Uh, the article that I mentioned earlier, in terms of City and how they are the biggest flat track bullies in the league, uh, Sterling in fact shows the highest variance in performance when it comes to his performance against tougher teams versus easier teams, and he's really really explosive as a captaincy asset. Uh, I think he's in the top five or top six. Goal scorers in the league since Project Restart, and you know, I thought he was pretty decent in the last two games as well. I thought he really looked sharp against Sheffield United, uh, especially in that first half. So I'm not too worried. Like Ian mentioned, he's one of the few players who you can be assured, assured in terms of being nailed when it comes to Man City attackers. So happy to hold and looking to captain in the next few. That's All right, it. so that's it. That's it for questions. Again, a big thank you to our friend from the cons. Yan, thank you so much for being with us. It's been great having you here. Uh, and uh, for our listeners, don't forget to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. Just a notice: we won't be podding next week because we have an international break. But we'll be podding just before Game Week Nine commences. So we'll be podding on November seventeenth, which is the Tuesday before the next Game Week commences. Any last words, guys? I think thanks for joining us again, Yan. It's been great having you. Thank you for the invitation, guys. It's been a pleasure. Right. All let, right. Let's just hope I didn't forget to hit the record button. <laughs> <laughs> right. Goodbye it. from me. Bye, guys. See ya. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.